This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You are here on Joy 94.9 on Well, Well, Well. I'm Jacinta, your host for this episode, and we're now joined by Professor Braden Hill, who is a Wadundi Noongar man from WA and an educator, researcher, and also according to Braden's TikTok bio, he's very good at blocking racists. Uh, Brayden, welcome to Well, Well, Well. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and where you're joining us from? Yeah, thanks, um, Jacinta. So I'm on Wajak Noongar Budja. I'm, as you said, a Noongar Wadandi man from the southwest of Western Australia. Um, I'm currently the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Students' Equity and Indigenous at Edith Cowan University. Um, and as you say, do a lot of work around education research, but I'm also responsible for the overall student experience for um, our university, which is a job that I love. And if I ever had to pick a job, it would be the one that I'm doing. I get to work with really fabulous people and do some really great research, which I know we're going to talk about today. So yeah, really, really delighted to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to us. Uh, We did want to, first of all, ask about your video and uh, I guess a bit of online fame that you've been having at the moment. So (laughs) you you shared a video in May explaining the voice to parliament and it currently has over 555,000 views just on TikTok. What has the response been like and and what has that, um, I guess, that advocacy kind of pinpoint been like for you? Yeah, look, um, being a social media influencer is my retirement plan, so I'm delighted yeah. <laughs> to go really well. No, um, look, the video, I created the video because I had a non-Indigenous family friend who um, reached out to me um, via my mother, actually, and mum said, can you just record a video or something? It might be easier. I said, sure. And so I made the video, I sent it through to mum and um, and our family friend, and she was like, wow, this is amazing. It's the best explanation I've heard. Um, and so mum said, oh, you should put it on social media and, and um, you know, see, see what happens. And so that's kind of what I did. And then um, because it was well received, I, I kind of cottoned on that I think there's a lot of noise around it. And I tried to just be as clear um, as I could be about the proposal uh, for people to just understand it. Um, and even if they say no, I think as an educator, I wanted to make sure that people knew what they were saying no to. So, yeah, the reaction's been great and it's kind of encouraged me to do it a little bit more around some of the misconceptions and myths and, you know, um, potentially some of the advantages of it. So, yeah, I've, I've found it in an odd way therapeutic, despite um, some of the really strange but racist and, and racist comments that come through. But no, I, I've enjoyed it and it's, uh, yeah, it's been good fun. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. And and what does the proposed voice mean to you um, and perhaps the people that you work with, Brayden? Yeah, so look, I think the the, the voice to parliament is it's not going to be everything. It's not going to solve everything. But I think ultimately it's a really uh, important step in the right direction. I think working in the Indigenous space, the, the sense is that sometimes voices are heard, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're listened to, sometimes they're not. Um, but I think um, 
having a voice that can be independent and can speak out um, when government potentially doesn't do the right thing or parliament doesn't do the right thing by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities is, is, is vital. We also haven't had a really strong representative body for um, quite some time. And I think the voice proposes a really sound self-determined model around representation for Aboriginal people um, at the local regional level um, that can speak up to the national level. Uh, and so I think I'm I'm most excited by that because um, Aboriginal people want to see this in uh, as the the form of recognition they want to see in the constitution. The, you know, the vast majority, the best evidence we have is that most Aboriginal people fully support this idea. So I'm excited to see what it brings because I think when we listen to people and we hear them, um, it generally leads to better outcomes. And I think that's much needed. We Things are improving. There's stuff that is improving. It's important that we reflect on that. But I think this is a really great opportunity to accelerate that. And I think the voice is a good model. And a lot of thought and consensus building has gone into that. So, yeah, I think it's a, an exciting prospect and one I, I hope Australia gets around. Yeah, yeah, because obviously this hasn't come out of nowhere and I think that the the kind of thing that you're talking about um, through your videos and, and also just, you know, in the general conversations that people like yourself are having day to day at the moment, it's it's come from a really long history of trying to have a community voice um, available um, and I think you're absolutely right having that as something that's enshrined is what people like yourself are trying to inform people about and so people can make an informed decision no matter which way they vote um, on 14th of October. Um, I did want to ask specifically about LGBTIQA plus and sister girl, brother boy people um, being included meaningful, like meaningfully in a representative body like this. Is there anything that you um, hope to see if the voice does get through um, later in October? Yeah, look, I think one of the promising things about the voice, some of the principles around, well, proposal around how the voice could look is that it's going to be much more representative probably than our parliament in that there's a real commitment to um, gender balance and representation, but also a representation for youth. And I think that's really, really great. Um, I, I think it's important to probably reflect that there are a number of forums for Aboriginal peak organisations to be able to have dialogue to government that doesn't always centre voices of, of queer mob. And I think while we're getting better at that, um, the evidence base to demonstrate the importance, I think, is still being picked up by um, some of our, um, our Blackfellas, our leaders in that space. So um, I think uh, the voice is good timing, right, because we're starting to see um, research, lived experience, it's becoming centred around um, Indigenous queer mob, which is great. Um, and the voice, I think, is going to enable a way in which we can continue that dialogue internally as a community, but upwards towards, towards government to really make sure that we're able to um, see the outcomes that we need to see. We know Indigenous queer mob um, probably one of the most disadvantaged communities in terms of health outcomes and, and the data is starting to show that. But the voice is coming in at a really good time to, to amplify that, I think. So that's that's an exciting prospect. But it's one that we have to take on as, as a community as well. 
Yeah, of course. And um, something that quite a few people have pointed out as, um, I guess, like a similar, very different, but also similar in some ways, the public debate around one's identities is the 2017 marriage equality vote. Um, Again, it wasn't a referendum, but it was a national vote. And obviously, with the, the whirlwind of media and conversations, both, you know, in public and in private around the voice referendum, what is the impact for queer mob at the moment? Because on one hand, obviously, it represents um, something that is quite empowering. But on the other hand, and like you mentioned, there's a lot of um, really difficult conversations happening and and to have someone's um, or to have your identity up for debate really in a in a national lens is um, it's surely it has a big impact on people's health and well-being at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I I think, I mean, I feel this personally. I think my family kind of reflect on it as well. The voice discussions, I think, have probably unleashed uh, an explicit form of racism that, um, you know, it's kind of haven't been hasn't been acceptable for quite some time, you know, um, open challenges to people's identities or just being outright racist is something that Aboriginal, Aboriginal folk tend not to have to put up with regularly, but it's kind of open season, it feels like at the moment in the same way it was for queer mob during the marriage equality debates. It's, of course, harmful and, of course, unhelpful. Um, the the impact on well-being is massive and I think there's emerging research that we've always known that racism has an impact but we're starting to evidence this at a national level specifically in the ways it impacts Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So um, we know that it has an impact, we know that it's significant. Um, You know, we're starting to see that, uh, you know, about 70% of First Nations people experience discrimination on an everyday basis Um, and the vast majority of that is because of who they are as an Indigenous person. So, the voice has really opened that up and made that a much harsher um, reality, I think, in the same way it was for queer mob during marriage equality. And if you put those two things together, um, of course, you you get a significantly um, uh, more oppressive state in which people can can feel well and 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 be mentally well. Yeah, and um, in in your videos that you've been sharing on TikTok, you've mentioned a few times throughout those, or or at least in the comments as well, when people are asking about, um, you know, what what info is out there, what research, what connection do people have to resources? You've mentioned the Walking Catagen report. Um, could you tell us a bit about this important research and why it's so crucial for not only this advocacy but for the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Walking Catagen is an amazing project in that it's a national study focusing on LGBTQA plus young people, um, 14 to 25 across the country. So that was uh, the first part of it was a national survey. So we had um, more than 600 young people respond to that young black queer mob. Um, And interestingly, again, it's a really important evidence base for the lived experience of of, um, our communities, um, their, um, you know, barriers and enablers in terms of health access. So it's a really vital study and I'd encourage anyone to have a look. Um, Of course, there are some really amazing um, things that we see in there, a real pride in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander queer identities, which is great amongst our young people. Um, But we, we were... Um, not shocked, but really disheartened to see that, you know, levels of psychological distress were very high for the majority of uh, young black queer mob. Um, many of the participants had thought about or attempted suicide, you know, just under half had attempted suicide in their lifetime. I mean, that's just that's just 
um, shocking and, and something that to be evidenced is really important for us to do something about. So, look, I think it's a, a really important study at a national level that should really inform policy and practice going forward. And, and I'm really delighted for the queer Indigenous leadership and scholarship that's that's produced that. So it's going to be vital for the country, I think, in terms of the way we do health and health provision. Yeah, absolutely. It is really important work to be um having available to use for the work that's already being done. Um, and, yeah, it's it's really – I've seen even through Thorn Harbour Health how crucial it has been just in the um, short amount of time it's been released in the – I guess in the public sphere um, and right. what it means for people working in these sorts of areas with queer mob and with, um, yeah, these communities. And it's, it's a really – massive massive piece of work so thank you so much for the work that you do on it um, I did want to talk more about um, the other work that you do and we will take a very quick break here on joy um, but stick with us and we'll continue talking to Braden Hill from HIV to COVID-19 STIs and everything in between you're listening to well 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 on joy and the community radio network you are here with Jacinta on Well, Well, Well on Joy 94.9 and we are still chatting with Professor Braden Hill talking about the voice referendum and the Walking Catagen report and the other incredible work that Braden does um, working in Indigenous education and um, finding uh, support in community health for LGBTIQ um, plus SB um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. Brayden, I wanted to ask about um, the, I guess, the work that you do around training health providers. Why is it important for um, research like this to create safer, inclusive healthcare and educating people who are in the services on the front line working with queer mob? Yeah, look, it's it's um, really important that we have research and evidence to really just get practitioners, health practitioners, to pay attention to the importance of, of even thinking about it in terms of their professional practice. You know, I work at a university. We train the people who go out and work in really in our fantastic kind of health um, sector, but often they don't pay attention to um, queer stuff or Indigenous stuff, and they especially often don't pay attention to, to the lives of those at the intersections. Um, what our what our research is showing around barriers to access is is that that there's a lack of knowledge amongst our practitioners um, in terms of how to support uh, Indigenous queer mob particularly. Um, but what we see more generally, I think, in the queer space is a um, lack of understanding or availability even of safe referral pathways, and that's particularly the case for transgender diverse mob. Um, and of course, at the heart of that really is a lack of training about that intersection. And um, when we talk to service providers and people working within them, they, they, they really want to see this mandatory and something that everybody has to engage with. And I reflect on that as an academic and think, okay, what are we not teaching in our degrees um, that's preparing our graduates who go off into that workforce to, to be across this and do it well? So um, that's really important. Um, one thing that surprised me that came out of the research was in terms of barriers, um, community mob and health services providers were saying just having visible signs of inclusion, rainbow flags, Aboriginal flags, etc., cetera, are, are really important ways of signalling inclusion. And that came out really clearly. 
Um, in the in the Aboriginal space, it's really interesting because a lot of our community controlled organisations um, have boards with community representatives who do really great work. Um, there was a kind of uh, a clear concern around where um, religious beliefs come into the ways in which um, board members or potential leaders within organisations um, might be exclusionary because of their religious beliefs. So there was a little bit of concern around that that was um, well, kind of unique to the Aboriginal space in terms of our study. It won't be unique to everywhere. But, yeah, so there's some of the kind of broader factors that are barriers for Aboriginal people, um, Aboriginal queer mob, um, and they're the kinds of things that our research are targeting to think about, okay, how do we address that and what does that look like going forward? Yeah, and you also did a lot of work for the Breaking the Silence research project in the last few years. Um, so I think that was a like a two-and-a-half-year research project um, that yeah. focused on the like you said, the barriers and enablers that are there for Black Queer Mob in WA who are engaging with community and health organisations. Have you seen any impact from that project? Um, I mean, I guess very much like what you've just said, it's about training people, getting that information out and understanding the intersections and those extra complexities um, of things like religion as well involved in organisations. Yeah, look, I think, um, again, because Breaking the Silence was probably one of the first empirical studies to capture the lived experience of Indigenous queer mob in, in Australia, potentially, um, not entirely going to make that claim, but it was certainly one of the first. Um, it, it, it's going to take a while, I think, before policy and practice catches up. But what, what we're seeing already is that that study has kicked off um, further work around the development of training packages in co-design with Aboriginal community controlled and queer organisations, which has been really great. So we can roll out training based on our research, evaluate that training and make sure that we're able to embed um, systematically some of the things that we're finding as being really important. Um, and Walk and Catagen also kind of dovetails into a lot of that. Um, WA as well is kind of refreshing its LGBTQ plus health strategy. And so um, this evidence base allows us to say to the state government and, and policymakers that, hey, we have this data, we have these recommendations, be really important to bring into that strategy. So um, I guess what I'm saying is a lot of this is still emerging, but we're delighted with the impact so far. And the fact that, you know, um, that you guys in, in, in Victoria are picking this up and using it as part of your organisational thinking is so um, important to us as researchers because it means that people are paying attention to it and doing something about it. So we're excited, but yeah, it's still, it's still new and emerging, but good signs so far. Yeah, yeah, definitely good signs. And have have you heard um, from queer mob who are out in WA, what has the impact been like for them? So not necessarily the healthcare workers, but uh, have you heard anything from the people who are accessing services now that that training is starting to be implemented? Look, we're, we're starting to capture that from a client perspective, but it's still a little bit too early to tell. More broadly, though, with community, I think, um, projects like Walk and Catagen, projects like Breaking the Silence um, have basically done that, opened up a dialogue about queerness in um, the Indigenous community, particularly around Perth and, and the metro area. Um, we, I think the most profound moment I had in that research project was having um, close to 30 um, Aboriginal elders from Perth and the metro area come into workshop to talk about queerness and um, hear about the findings, but also 
endorse from a cultural authority point of view that conversation and that research dialogue. And I think, you know, that's going to spin into some exciting stuff that I can't talk about yet, but um, it is going to be really important to um, continuing to create safe dialogue between um, elders in our community, families in our community with young queer mob and not so young queer mob. So for, for me, that's been great. And, you know, I often get inboxes on on TikTok and you know from young queer black mob and we all all as researchers get this where people go it's so good to see people talking about that so so that visibility is is just one thing but one really powerful thing and and the research really uh, I think reinforces a lot of that too so yeah really really proud of the impact and we're hearing good things amazing and I also wanted to ask a bit about the work that you do um I guess within universities and about uh, student equity and access and future pathways and that sort of thing. Yeah. Have you have you seen a shift in, um, I guess, the inclusion of queer mob um, and queer students generally as well in being able to um, tackle, I guess, the deficit narrative that exists in universities um, for, for people like us and um, to be able to access future pathways. what Has that kind of shifted at all in the time that you've been working in this area? Uh, look, I, I've seen it shift within uh, universities who are keen to take it on. Um, at the moment, the federal government's undertaking a review of the higher education sector, and one of the considerations is really who do we consider as priority learners or equity cohorts in the university sector? So, um, traditionally, Aboriginal students with disability, et cetera, are considered as equity cohorts. Um, in the queer space, I think there's a really strong argument for us to take a view on um, how difficult navigating the educational environment can be for queer mob from primary school, secondary school, all the way through to university, and really consider the barriers that are in place I mean, I, I think about my own journey, um, you know, navigating my sexuality as a senior school student really impacted my educational journey. All the data we have says that um, that's the experience for a lot of queer mob. So I think universities um, like ECU, for example, we ask students about, um, you know, to, to let us know if they're part of the queer community, optional data collection that allows us to build community um, within the university and allows us to tailor um, support and communications to queer mob, uh, to, to just queer students generally. And that's been really profound. But I, I don't think it's been taken on board by the broader sector just yet. But I think there's a really strong argument for it, for sure, given, given what we know about the educational experience of queer young people going through schools particularly and the impact it has on their futures. Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously, you, you've just spoken a bit about, um, I guess, your personal experience. And I wanted to ask about what it means for you to be doing this kind of work, you know, across the work that you do in universities and about access for students um, and the research work that you do. Uh, is it something that you, um, you know, that you really pushed for to try and get to this point? Or is it something that... Um, has just sort of happened because you followed through with what you personally find um, relevant and what you're passionate about? Like what, what has that journey been like for yourself, Brayden? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think, as I said before, the, the job I have is a, a dream job I'd create for myself. But I think um, I've been really, well, I won't say fortunate. I, I've had moments in my career where it's became very clear that if I'm not authentically who I am, um, that can be weaponized against you. And I think I learned that lesson, fortunately, very early on. 
And so as an educator and researcher and, and you know, leader, manager, whatever you want to call me, I think um, that being authentic has led me to where I am now. So obviously I have a deep personal interest in queer Indigenous stuff. I have a broader interest in social justice. And I think whenever I've, um, you know, gone for jobs or, you know, inhabited roles, I've been very explicit that, that that's, you know, being passionate about my job is really important. And those passions around social justice are the things that really drive me. So um, I've been really fortunate to work in spaces that accept that, um, respect that, but more than that, value it. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of the work and the teams that we've brought together, um, not only around those sorts of things that I'm passionate about, but um, being able to bring together a collective of people who are personally and professionally driven by a range of really important um, areas around the work that we should do uh, in the social justice space, particularly in education. So um, it, 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 it uh, is a, a really great space to be in now, but it was born from struggle, if that makes any sense. But I'm delighted and I have a lot of privilege to be able to give back now and I, I'm delighted to be able to do that. Yeah, it's it's incredible to see uh, the impact that this kind of work has, and um, yeah, especially the the research and and what that really means. Uh, even though it's considered to be an emerging area, um, I think there's obviously a lot more work to be done. Um, but I think it is absolutely on the right track, um, and it's amazing to see people like yourself and the other researchers and your colleagues involved in making such important change for people. Um, I wanted to ask what keeps you going when facing um, challenges in this ongoing work, uh, because obviously it's meaningful work and it's important, but, um, you know, even with the referendum coming up, obviously there's a lot of challenges involved in that and what keeps you going in the face of all of that? Uh, look, as I said, I, I think I'm in a privileged position with, with some authority to do this kind of work. I haven't always been, so I know what it's like to not have that platform. So I feel a great sense of um, responsibility to my own community, but also to a whole range of communities that are important to, to um, who I am and what I do. Um, very conscious of my family and, you know, ancestors who, who've come before me. So I kind of feel like it's really the least that, that I can do. And that, that kind of keeps me going. Um, being confronted by the racism is hard work. Um, and that looks, um, that takes various forms and shapes. Um, but I, I think there's not much I can do about the racism really. Um, that's kind of, if I can be a bit provocative up to white folk to kind of reflect <laughs> on it, take action on that, yeah. um, you know, their invention, their problem, if you like. Um, but look, I think building collective, um, action across a range of diverse communities is how we affect change. And, um, you know, when you see people thrive in that space, it, it's kind of, you know, like a self-sourcing pudding, really. Like it just keeps you going and it fuels you. And whilst it feels hard sometimes, working in education, you see the impact of your labour so quickly that you kind of ignore the bullshit. And, um, you know, I, I'm driven by the fact that I want to create spaces where my nieces and nephews and family can meaningfully and, you know, really powerfully participate in the future. And in order to do that, um, we kind of need to do the work that we do so we get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. And how can people hear more about what you're doing, um, maybe where they can find you online with your uh, The Voice videos? 
Yeah, so um, you can search for me on TikTok, Braden Hill on, on TikTok. I'll keep posting there for as long as, I don't know what I'm going to do post the voice. I'm going to have to pivot my content, I think. But um, you can find me there. Uh, also on, on LinkedIn, uh, you can keep track uh, as well. Um, ECU website, you know, for stuff that we do around research. But I'll keep using social media as a way to communicate. So, yeah, you can you can follow me there, I guess. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Professor Braden Hill. It has been an absolute pleasure hearing all about the work that you do. And we wish you all the very best for, well, the next few weeks and for your ongoing work in research and um, in the universities. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. It was um, a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and wellbeing and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.